BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's the second segment of the Ben Jarofsky Show and my guest, the pride and joy of South Bend, Indiana. Yes, indeed. Councilman Henry Davis Jr. Welcome back to the show, Henry. Hey, man, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me again. How's it going? It's, we're okay. We're still in the attic, still uh, in my house, in the attic, overlooking the alley and the train and the porta potty. We were hoping to be at the sun. And let me just say something about Henry Davis Jr. When I like to uh, have Henry come on as a guest maybe once every month or so, once every six weeks, uh, and I reached out to him. This man, Dennis, I don't know if I told you this. He said, I will do, uh, do it over the phone or come to the studio. Hell yeah. I got to give you credit, Henry Davis Jr. <laughs> that made me feel... He'll come to the studio if necessary. So, um, But we're still not back in the studio, Henry. Well, we need to get back there, man. We need to get back to some sort of normalcy because this is... This, this is... Print. Yeah. I could say something else about it, but it's just a very much different. I, I enjoy human contact. I do too. And, uh, not the one that I would... Not the one that would kill me, but, you know, I, I enjoy it. Yeah, there's ways to do it without uh, infecting one another. And uh, in the past, when Henry has come to the studio, he's brought his dad. And then the fun part, which I've always thought we should do, is uh, the after-show conversation. If we could ever tape that, record that, put that up there, uh, where the three of us are just sitting around uh, BSing. All right, uh, as everybody knows, Henry Davis Jr. is the pride and joy of South Bend, Indiana. And uh, he uh, has come on the show many times to talk about uh, Mayor Pete, uh, and talk about politics in South Bend and policing issues in South Bend. And so I have a whole bunch of issues to talk about with him. Uh, in particular, I want to talk about what went down at a, a meeting in South Bend last night that he gave me a, a brief description of. Uh, oh, wow. You, you, missed, you just missed out. I'm sorry I'm cutting you off, but I just, in between, you know, I told you I had something to take care of and calling you back, you calling me back. I get a text message from a constituent to tell me that he really hates what we're doing to our police department. I don't know anything that we've done to our police department. I, I have no idea what we have done to our police department. Well, I will. Get that fast. Wait, do you know who this particular, we don't need to, uh, need to mention the constituent's name, but do you know who he or she is? Do you know them personally? I mean, I personally know this guy. Okay. Uh, he's an older, older white gentleman. He, you know, he's cool sometimes. I mean, thinks he knows everything, but I look, it's fine. I guess you have your own opinion. So I just offered to him an opportunity to come to the public hearings that we're having and even to the council meeting so he can express his dissatisfaction. All right. We'll, we'll get I mean, into that's not, that's not work. We'll, we'll get into all this because uh, it culminates with this great moment that Henry uh, described to me earlier in the conversation where a white woman got up and explained to Henry Davis, uh, Henry, I almost did it, Henry, Henry Davis Jr., that he didn't understand racism in America. 
which is kind of funny for a white woman to tell this to a man who's been black his entire life. But we'll get into all that, all those issues. Uh, we may do a, a little sports talk, get your opinions on what's going on, how the world has changed. Uh, Drew Brees, questions throw it at you, and maybe get your predictions for the upcoming basketball season. Uh, and uh, But before we do, uh, Dennis said when we ended the regular show today, don't ask him any questions about Mayor Pete. But I got to ask have you have you had have you heard from Mayor Pete lately? Has he reached out to you at all? Now, why would you think <laughs> for one second that I would hear from him? I haven't seen him. I haven't heard from him. I probably won't. We know what I have. Let me backtrack. His email somehow comes to my council address. I don't know how that happened because I didn't sign up for anything from him. And so then I actually unsubscribed because I was sick of getting them. And about a week later, I started getting him again. I, I don't know how that works, but have I physically seen him? No, I haven't seen him, but he's, you know, very persistent with sending me emails that I didn't ask for. Okay. Now, you asked why would I think he'd reach out. I'll tell you exactly why. And uh, Mayor Pete, of course, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, uh, who ran for president, and his presidency... His campaign, his candidacy for president, uh, collapsed to a large degree because he was incapable of getting black voters to vote for him. And anybody who knows anything about politics in America today knows you cannot repeat, cannot win the Democratic nomination for the presidency without getting black people to vote for you. Black people are a huge constituency in the Democratic Party. So the reason, Henry, I said I'm Joe because I know he didn't get to you, but the reason if I were him, I would call you up, is I would call you up and say, you know what, Henry, I obviously screwed up. What can I do to make amends? What can I do? What, how can I behave differently going, if only to advance his career? Do you follow what I'm saying, Henry? You understand humility and maturity. Some people don't. This is how that works. Yeah. And I don't think that he was going to be forced to find out what humility and maturity is. People are still telling him that he's great. So why would he believe anything different? Mm. Well, you can always learn. That's what life is all about. You can always learn to move on. All right. Uh, let us talk about what's going on in South Bend. The same issues uh, that are... Police departments and policemen are facing uh, everywhere in this country uh, are very much at play in South Bend, Indiana. And uh, uh, Henry Davis has talked about this uh, in the past. So before we talk about last night's meeting, which is particular to South Bend, but it could also sort of be a parable for uh, cities throughout the country, towns across the country that are confronting policing issues with uh, the black community. Henry, one more time, for people who may not have heard this story from you, talk about some of the uh, your encounters with the South Bend police, particularly the time they pulled you over and they uh, pulled a gun on you. Talk about that. Uh, retell that story. Oh, well, you will. I think I could probably do this in 20 seconds. I've told it a lot of times. So I vote against a uh, budget uh, matter for the police department. I voted against their, their contract. I was not happy with the way they had been treating African-Americans, in particular a gentleman by the name of Mike Anderson that ended up dying while in police custody. They still weren't able to explain it. They said that he died by choking on a dollar bill and a nickel bag of weed. That was the prosecutor's exact words. 
never heard of anybody doing anything like that. I don't know who eats their money. But anyway, I vote against the budget because they had several encounters that were, like, really bad with the African-American community. Um, so I said no. It still passed, but I said no. I uh, get in my car. At the end of the council meeting, my father be following behind me. As we're leaving the county city building, we hit one corner, we see one officer, we hit another corner. I live probably about four miles away from, you know, uh, gover- the uh, uh, governmental offices. I, but it's a straight shot. I can get on Western Avenue and go straight down to my house. And that's what I was doing. But as I was getting closer to home, I started seeing a collection of more officers following me. Didn't think anything of it because why would they be following me and coming after me? Well, I got to one point in the, in the ride to where the, the road was really, really dark. And so they turned their lights on. Well, again, I don't know why you're stopping me. Uh, I don't know why you're trying to stop me. I haven't broken any laws. And you know who I am. I uh, have seen the end of those type of stories. A uh, black guy gets stopped on the dark road by, you know, white officer. He usually does the end well. So I, 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 you know, turned my hazards on and slowed my speed and got in the right lane. And I closed it until I got to a well-lit area. So I said, you can do that. So that's what I did. Pulled over. Uh, couldn't see my father anymore because now it's probably like six or seven cop cars out there. So they've cut us off from, you know, visually seeing each other. Uh, get out the car, turn your car off. They're on the loudspeaker. You know, this is a straight-up fugitive stop. Like, I just finished robbing the bank or I've been, they've been looking for me for, you know, some time. I killed, like, a whole bunch of people or something. And uh, had to walk down, backwards, down the middle of the street, put my hands behind my head like I had done something wrong. If it was even just a minor traffic uh, infraction, I didn't know that you would have to do that, but that's what ended up happening to me. Guns drawn and pointed at my head and also my father's. I can't see it, but this is what we talked about afterwards. Um, once I get in the car, handcuffed, uh, the gentleman that was the lead car, the guy that said that he was stopping me, he began to search through his rule book or his code book, or his police book, whatever you want to call it, a little black thing, trying to find a reason why he stopped. So you can try to figure that one out. So he gets to a couple, you know, impasses with his thought process, and so I, you know, helped him out and told him that he couldn't, you know, necessarily do that because that didn't make any sense. So they finally released me, but took my father to jail, and so that was what happened to me. Um, they did not suffer any sort of discipline. It was kind of like it was okay. It was supposed to have happened. You know, they're allowed to do that. And that was one of my nights with uh, the South End finding. Did they ever charge you with anything? No, there's nothing they could have charged me with. So it was just pure we went to internal, harassment. We, we, yeah, we went to internal affairs and, um, filed a report, not that I should have to, I'm an elected official, I, I, you know, this stuff is like really, really out of whack. Um, Pete Buttigieg releases a statement stating that the officers did a good job, but I tried to find that statement, 
you can't find it anywhere on the internet. Uh, it ran on the news. He said he thought the officers did a fine job. Well, I guess so if you told them to do it. So, I mean, it was, it was just a ton of just like junk, you know, that happened. So, no, they didn't charge me with anything, but we had to go to court. And the reason why we went to court was because they were trying to trump up charges on me or whether my father, it wasn't me, it was my father. And so we ended up in court. They ended up getting a special prosecutor because I was, you know, I was the elected official here and they didn't want any impropriety. But that had already happened, so I don't know why they, you know, spared me on that one. And so the uh, the prosecutor that came in from Allen County just, you know, he threw his hands up. He was like, there's nothing here. So the case was dismissed. But we ended up still having to pay like close to six grand and like legal fees. It was just really, really just bad situation. Uh, but again, those same officers were not disciplined. And nothing happened to them. And they were allowed to put me through a very traumatic situation. It was very traumatic. I still turn around when officers pass me driving. You just don't never, you never know what ha- is going to happen. Mm-hmm. I just think it's awful that they were allowed to behave like that and then not be held accountable for their behavior. And and some of those officers are still on the force? Oh, you better believe it. They're FOP's finest now. They're like president, vice president. It's like you it's like you kill a black person or you do something really, really bad to a black person, you get a promotion. No, I'm being honest. Yeah. I, it sounds bad. It really sounds bad, but my experience has has led me to believe the more you are able to penalize and punish not a person of color but a black person the better off you are in your career as it relates to law enforcement and sometimes politically as well it's like you have it's like some type of rite of passage or something I, I think it's disgusting when uh when you were growing up in South Bend, I don't know if I ever asked you this question, but when you were growing up in South Bend, how much integration uh, did you experience? Were there white kids in your high school? Uh, were there white kids in your grammar school? That kind of thing. Was there a, did you grow up with white kids, or did you grow up in an all-black area, and they grew up in an all-white area? No, no, no uh-uh. it wasn't all-black, and it wasn't all-white. It was pretty mixed. I mean, you know, I think predominantly black, you know, as I got older, but it, it, it was more probably white, you know, my younger years. I mean, one of my closest friends growing up was an older white lady. Her name was Linda Johnson. I mean, she was white. She was a lot older than I am. And I used to sit on Linda's porch, man, every day throughout the summer. And we would just talk. I mean, I'm sure she... <laughs> You know, probably was wondering why I talked so much, but I, you know, I was a little kid. Yeah. I was a little kid, man. And then after a certain period of time, she started paying me to clean her out of flower box and, you know, weeded, you know, just different things. She kept me busy. Yeah. She loved me. I loved her. You know, and so right across the street was her friend, Leon. Leon was a, a bit older than Linda. Linda had, I mean, Leon had this really, really nice Cadillac two-door Coupe de Ville. I, I remember like like it was yesterday. And they just, they loved on me, man. And then Linda's friends used to come by, Pat, her father, you know, used to come by. I mean, seriously, this was my upbringing. 
a couple of doors down with a gentleman by the name of Dennis. He had two really, really nice rock wallers. Uh, Dennis passed. Um, you know, I think I, was, I wasn't even 10 years old when he passed. And so it was just, I, I had exposure to other people, other cultures. I mean, I can keep talking about all the people in the neighborhood up and down the street because they loved on me. So it really wasn't like a situation where, you know, it was segregated to the point that, you know, people didn't want to deal with me or and they knew my parents. So I had a lift in the actual neighborhood. I thank God for it. You know, I was exposed to good people. But, you know, since I've been uh, an adult, <laughs> things have changed quite a bit, considerably. Do, what, do you recall what your attitude toward police was? Uh, back when you were uh, a well, we were taught that they were our friends. Well, we were told they taught that we were friends until I got in high school and started driving. Then it became, you know, us against them. I mean, you, you're talking about getting pulled over for nothing. I, I got at one point in time I got pulled over. Like I remember one week I was pulled over down there every day. And so what came out of that because we had a friend that worked for the police department. Um, mind you, he's a black guy. He said it was because of the car that I was driving. And drug dealers drive those types of cars. It was a Monte Carlo. I think it was like an 86, 87 Monte Carlo cream. It was my aunt's car. And um, it, it wasn't like it was in great condition or anything. It, it, it was a decent car, you know. But those, I guess those were the quote-unquote drug dealer cars. So guess what they were doing? They were profiling. I didn't know what a, I didn't know what drugs were, you know, and not to the point to where I was selling them or anything. You know, I, you know, I, that's when it got real for me. When I, I was thinking about 16, 17 years old, that's when things got really strange. Let me just take a brief point to, a moment here to say to point out how destructive the war on drugs was. Just, I mean, I know this is not where we're heading ultimately with this conversation, but. Just the notion that a black cop would uh, advise a, a black teenager, a black teenage young man, that the reason is being stopped is that his car is fits the profile of a drug dealer, and the reason we have drug dealers, okay, is because we have this insane war on drugs and it's not legal. So you have an underground because people still want to take drugs, Henry Davis. You know what I'm saying? And it's just, when I hear these stories, I'm like, oh, well, that, oh, your car fits the profile of a drug dealer. And nobody that takes the next step to wonder, like, why do we have drug dealers? You get what I'm saying? Like, why is there an underground? You know, you don't have bootleggers. And your car doesn't fit the model of a, a profile of a bootlegger because alcohol is legal. Sorry, Henry, I didn't mean to go on that tangent, but that's what I thought. When that guy told, and no, I mean, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. No, but it's and you're supposed to accept that. Oh, <laughs> oh, I see. I did something yeah, wrong. Hey, right, right, right. You're supposed to. You're right. I must. I was supposed to accept that. I was supposed to say, okay, I'm sorry. I'll find me a better car. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. Or ask them what was more acceptable to drive. Yeah, maybe a Volkswagen yeah. Beetle. I don't know any drug dealer that drives it. Do you think there are? No, any walk. Well. They you they want you to walk and then if you're walking, then they'll say it's loitering. You know I you don't you can't win. 
you couldn't win, you know. And I think that's probably some of the things that was subconsciously coming back to me when I thought about running for office. Uh, you're bringing back things to my memory that I haven't thought about in years. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, um, so let's fast forward. Uh, and South Bend is trying to uh, deal with these issues. So there was a meeting last night. Uh, you have a proposal. Is it your proposal or is it another councilman's proposal to bring on some kind of police reform? So I, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm the lead sponsor. Back in 2014, I passed a resolution uh, calling for a few things. Uh, one was body cameras. The other one was for mental health checks regularly. Uh, another one was Citizens Review Board, and I can't remember what the fourth thing was. Oh, it was diversifying the police force, uh, having more black people on it. And so it was the fourth thing, and, we, and I got it passed back in 2014. Uh, the story of Henry Davis, I ran for mayor, and then I lost. It was like the next year, so I wasn't able to further along that uh, that appeal. Uh, so when I got back in, I picked it back up, and now I'm running with it. So we're working at getting a citizens review board here in South Bend, Indiana. And as a result, we are, like, really doing some good things. But, you know, obviously change is very difficult for some people. And I'm not even talking about the officers. I'm just talking about the people in the community because they have they have never won. And so when somebody is bringing something to them and showing them that they can win and they're about to win, they can't believe it. So somebody has to be lying, which is really sad. It's really sad that you have conditioned yourself to believe that you cannot win. And I'm constantly telling them, you can win, you can win, you can win. But I, I don't, you know, me saying that over a period of, let's say, six years versus 30 years of your life, it doesn't make sense. So, you know, we just have to be patient with the uh, process. So what uh, what happened at the, the meeting last night when you were confronted by people who think they can't win? Oh, my God, you're talking about being attacked. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and, and so we had a public conversation and we asked the public to come out to have the conversation for purposes of putting together a better bill. We want to be able to get into a situation where people actually trust it because they helped build it. And so we recognize that and we hope that the public recognize that, but a lot of them don't. They feel like what's before them can't be changed, can't be amended, or even be delayed until we find a better way of getting it done. And that was explained more than once. Again, we're going back to people who have have not won. So what I just said to you and to your listening audience, many of them may understand that. But you're talking about people who are on the verge of probably even like going through a a, a civil disobedience a stage here in South Bend because they haven't won and they're sick of losing. So um, last night I had a young lady tell me how I should feel as a black man and she knows racism better than I do. And what was really like, you know, funny about it is that I turned to my colleague to my right and she's a person of color. She's not black. And I said to her, I said, hey, did you hear that? I said, you know, I really don't like hearing people tell me 
about me being black and how I could feel when it comes to police brutality. It was like he was trying to school me. And my colleague looked at me and said, well, that person is a Latino. And it was like one of those jokes when you always had, you know, you heard one of those crazy jokes, you know, when you had these different people in the joke and they were all from different cultural backgrounds and you know which one's going to say what, you know, it was always, you know, stereotypical. But I, I, I was a part of that joke, but it was real life. She was really telling me that I should give that person extra room because they know how I feel. Mm. And I, <laughs> and I can't believe that for the life of me that a person can tell me that they know how I feel. When you're looking at the TV, America's burning. You have protests and riots everywhere. Did you see that? What happened in Atlanta? When the gentleman was in the car, drunk, they said he was drunk. Oh, yeah. And he was asleep. That's, that's what they said. R- R- I wasn't there. Rayshard Brooks. I, I yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, today it appears that the officers in the video that have been released by witnesses says a whole totally different story. You know, and so it looks like they're going to probably be charged with murder. What I'm getting at is that I don't see people of any other color suffering like the way that black people suffer. I haven't. It's a history class. Hell, it's, it's the civil rights movement. It's, it's the tradition in America that black people get killed by white officers. It's tradition. And then what really bothers me, and I'm going to go somewhere else with this, so pull me back in after I get done. Okay. What really bothers me is that you have black people will say, well, why are we getting mad at them? We don't get mad about black-on-black crime. What in the hell does one have to do with the other? I, I don't I, I don't get it. I have not gotten it. I had a guy talk to me about that today. Well, we got to stop killing each other. And I said, there's no such thing as black-on-black crime. Yes, it is. I said, it can't be. Crime is crime. Now you're going to put an adjective on it? Like a black person killing a black person is worse than a white person killing a white person? I, I said, crime is a matter of proximity. Murder. I said, you don't live around a whole bunch of white people. I don't. I said, so the chances of somebody getting killed that looks like me by me is it's, high, it's a high probability. Mm-hmm. It says it's very rare when somebody leaves one community and goes to a totally different community and kills someone. I, I just said, you know, you, you have to think these things out. So somebody's telling you black on black crime is bad. That's what they're telling you. So to make you feel like that black people need to stop black killing black people because, you know, it, it, it's even worse. You know, if we're doing it, somebody else can do it. Mm-hmm. That's like insane. <laughs> You're going to tell me that because I do it, that it's okay for somebody else to do it, or I shouldn't complain that someone else is doing it? It's, it's just really skewed. And the black or black crime thing is uh, to condition us to believe that we're like extra bad behind the death of another black person at the hands of a black person. Yeah. Well, no, we're not extra bad. We're, we're, it's just what it is. Right. It's bad, though. There, there's so much to unpack what you said, uh, Henry. Generally, 
when uh, the topic of white police killing black people uh, is raised, generally the response, well, what about black on black crime, comes from a white person. And, yeah, now you have black people. Yeah, well, yeah. So l- let me just deal with it as the white person. And my attitude has always been that that is a defense mechanism to divert attention from a serious issue that our society should be confronting, which is how black communities have been policed for years and years and the attitude that many white cops have toward black people. That's a very serious issue, obviously. We're finally coming to terms with it. It's been around forever, as you know, as your story tells. The other issue, but... When, so when I hear a white person say that, I'm like, you just want to avoid having a discussion about white police or police in general dealing with black people. That's how I view it. Do you follow me? And uh, go ahead. It's like it's supposed to be accepted. Like death is supposed to be accepted. It's like we're we should be comfortable with it. Like, I don't belong to nobody. Like, no one loves me. Kind of like, you know, stepping on ants or something. By the way, you're... It hurts, actually. You're the, the person, the black person you had this conversation with, was he suggesting that uh, police killing black people was acceptable? Or is he just saying... I don't know what he... I, yeah. I have no idea what he was suggesting. Okay. I, You know, to be honest with you, I, I, you know, we talked for about 20 minutes and I still never came to the conclusion on what he to say. Yeah. I just think that that was a smart thing to say. I think that he that if he says that, then he probably wouldn't feel as bad about anything about the injustices that African-Americans uh, suffer, black people suffer in America. I think he was trying to make us feel responsible for our plight. You know, and that was part of the discussion. But I was just telling him, we, we do have some responsibility in this. I mean, it's not like, you know, we're not, you know, we want to handle it. But, but our hand is this, and I told him that we have to get engaged, we have to participate, we have to play our part. We just can't allow people to do what they want to do to us. And a lot of that has to start with, you know, the voting booth. You know, we have to, like, participate. And that's not the only thing, but that was the easiest thing that I could offer to him. And I was just like, we do not participate. And then in these community meetings, I don't see nobody like you. Now, I do see black people at them. But he's from he's right from the street. Dude, I need to see you there. I need I need your voice. And not only do I need your voice, I need you there so you can understand what's going on. You can get educated. But you can't like get educated talking to me in twenty minutes about all the world's problems and how to solve them. So we do have a say in this and we have a responsibility in it. But as to what he was trying to get across to me, I, I look, I don't know. I, I, I hope it was just pain. Yeah. 
and he was trying to figure it out, and then he is interested in searching it out and, and finding uh, solutions. I, that's about what it was. Uh, we'll leave it at there on that discussion. And since you mentioned voting booths, it's a natural transition uh, to talk about the upcoming presidential election. Uh, I've In the last week or so, I haven't had as many political discussions, uh, Henry, as I had in the past because we've been talking about the pandemic. We've been talking about police brutality, the whole issue of policing in black communities. But uh, let's go back a little bit. Joe Biden will be the nominee. He hasn't selected a running mate yet. He says it's going to be uh, a woman. And uh, so there's talk, maybe it's Kamala Harris, maybe Val Deming. Uh, what's your position right now? What's your view of Joe Biden's presidential campaign? Um, I hope he wins. We need him to win because the guy that's in there right now, it, it, you know, he's brought destruction and death to the world. It's just not America, man. That guy, something's going on, you know. Um, so we need Joe Biden to win. Uh, but Joe Biden doesn't, I don't know if Joe Biden is in tune with what's going on. I think there is some stuff that's going on uh, mentally. We talk about mental health that may hurting Joe Biden from really running a, a, a fluid campaign. And then maybe this is play. I, I, I don't know, but it doesn't look great. Do you think if it matters? I mean, uh, because the, think about the first point you made, which is we've got to get rid of the guy in the White House. And I saw a headline uh, in the uh, – no, it was an article. It was actually an article where they, a survey of uh, people at, uh, at Black Lives Matters protest. And ver- the survey showed that almost every single protester – intended to vote for Biden. But it wasn't even a vote for Biden. It was a vote against Trump. So I I used to criticize Biden up and down. He's not being forceful enough, not coming out, not being assertive, et cetera, and so forth. And now I'm almost believing that he could win this election by just staying in his basement and not being Trump. What do you think of that? No, nah, we need him to win. <laughs> in other words, leave the basement. Yeah, yeah, we we need to win, so we got you got to prop him up, man, and help him out, man. I, you know, I don't know what, I really don't know what's going on. I don't. All of this stuff is just odd. I mean, you have COVID, you have all of these protests happening at one time. You have this guy that's in the White House that doesn't belong, and he knows it. Mm-hmm. And, and and the kicker is that you have people who actually support him. I mean, he's like next to the second coming of Christ to some people. And, you know, it's just what it is, you know. Um, I had a guy earlier tell, tell, talking to me. I was testing the when we first got on. And he was talking about, you know, the um, what are we doing to our police here. I'm sure he's a Trump supporter. I think he, I, I know he probably believes and thinks that Trump is great. And then he's going to come talk to me and tell me that Trump is great. As a black man, and he's going to tell me that the police are not doing anything wrong to anyone. And then he's going to tell me I should agree with him. Because mm. if I don't agree with him, I'm wrong too. By the way, that, that man that you're quoting is a white man, not a black man, correct? No, he's not black. This is a white guy. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. At one point, Henry and I were having a debate 
about voting, uh, who voted for who in uh, South uh, in St. Joseph County. That's where uh, uh, South Bend is. So I looked it up, and uh, for the record, uh, the county went for Hillary Clinton in 2016. Very close, but the county went for Hillary Clinton. So uh, Indi- the state of Indiana is mostly Trump country, but there's like three counties, I want to say, Henry, that went, went blue. I want to say there were three of them, and you're in one of them. So... Um, I'm happy to say that that gentleman that you talked to may be in the minority in St. Joe County. What do you think of that? Well, she, but she didn't win by much, though. No, she didn't. It wasn't like, you know, it, it, wasn't like it was a landslide. No. It wasn't like, you know, it was a resounding, you know, no to Trump. It, it, it kind of teetered. You know, we had a guy that was running for sheriff here, and, um, I mean, he has this really, really, really bad reputation. I mean, he's a part of the tape case, the thing that I was talking about before, where there were some officers that got caught on um, on tape, uh, allegedly, you know, uh, uh, crimes and, and setting people up for crimes. And all this is alleged because it still has not gone through the court system. We go to trial in September. Mm-hmm. But this, you know, this has been blown over for eight years. And so this guy who is like the main character that everybody understands is like this Billy bad, Billy badass bike, bad guy. Everybody knows it. I mean, there is no question who this guy is. Everybody labels this guy that person. He almost won the sheriff's race. He lost by like 16 votes. And he ran as a Democrat. Had he ran as a Republican, I believe he'd have won. This is where we're at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. That's what I'm saying. I mean, thank God that he, you know, did not get the sheriff's office because that is a very powerful office. Uh, so, you know, you can only imagine what we're going on now. Mm-hmm. But he he narrowly lost. And guess what? That was at the three recounts. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, three. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, it was three. It was three recounts. And so, you know, you have to really, like, pay attention to, I have to pay attention to where I'm at. And I definitely know where I'm at. So Hillary Clinton, I mean, she barely won. Yeah, she did barely. And they're telling us, they're telling us around here in South Bend, Indiana, in St. Joe County. Indiana, you know, how they feel. Just like the gentleman called me and told me he was unhappy about what we were doing to the police department. I don't know anything that we're doing to the police department. <laughs> I really don't. There has not been any changes. I, I have no idea. No one has been defunded. There has been no new policies enacted. I mean, I'm serious. Nothing. Now, there's chatter, but nothing has been done. He believes that we have done something to the police. Now, there was a black man that we just celebrated, well, not celebrated, but we just observed the one-year anniversary, the death of this black man who was killed by a white officer here in South Bend. Yesterday. That was yesterday. Now, the guy takes time out to text me to tell me, I can't believe what you guys are going to the police. He missed all of what I just said. He, he doesn't even believe that this guy even exists. If he did, he probably deserved to die. 
and here and here he here he is making up this narrative that somebody's doing something to his uh to his hero. And no one has done anything. I don't know how you become a victim like that. I guess that's an art. Yeah. It has to be some type of art, you know, a spin, something in your head. I, I mean, I wish I knew how to do it. Well, this is one of my favorite themes, which we could probably talk at length at about another time. Everybody wants to be the victim. And you and I have actually had this conversation off mic. Everybody wants to be the victim. So Donald Trump. He wants to be the victim. So, uh, you know, he, like he victimizes himself like there's this cabal of evil people that are trying to bring down his presidency. And, and when they investigate him, they're dirty cops. You know, it's not, when, when he's being investigated, they call him a dirty cop. But, you know, otherwise, when their cops are killing black people, hey, it's a brave cops doing, you know, defending us from crime. It's, uh, so, but this is a common theme in uh, American politics these days. Uh, Henry, nobody wants to look like they're on top. Everyone wants to look like uh, they're victims. So the right is always complaining that they can't speak their minds, that they're not free to say what they want. Uh, for a while, they were complaining they couldn't say the N-word. You know, it, it, nobody wants to say that they're on top. Everyone's a victim. So I, I've noticed that. That's been going on uh, a long time in American politics, particularly on the right you know, you even have guys who have jobs on newspapers, writing columns, talking about how there's a bias in the media. I'm like, you're working for a newspaper. You have a column. You're writing it. How, <laughs> your presence on that paper defeats that whole theory you're laying out. So, yes, there's this sense that everybody's got to be a victim these days. Do you follow what I'm saying? It's nuts, man. It, it, it really is, man. I don't know, understand why people are going to take responsibility for their actions. I mean, black people have to take responsibility for their actions. As a matter of fact, their actions, you know, uh, is so high on the responsibility chart that they end up dying. All right, now. So I don't understand why all the people don't think that they <laughs> should have to go to jail or, I mean, lose their jobs or wherever that may be. I, I, don't, I don't get it. We, we, we suffer the death penalty. <laughs> It's, it's nuts. It's nuts to me, man. All right, let's uh, close it with uh, your conversa co conversation about somebody who did accept some responsibility for his uh, or his words, and that would be Drew Brees. We talked about this on the show with other people, the quarterback for New Orleans Saints. I've never seen anything like it. Uh, the the uh, 24 hours, within 24 hours, he had uh, backed off, done a 180 on his comments, uh, that there was something uh, wrong or unpatriotic about Colin Kaepernick taking a knee. When you heard that, when you saw uh, his quick retreat and his apology, uh, Henry, what was your thoughts? He needs a PR person. And he needs to hire them fast. Uh, I thought it was a major gaffe, you know, uh, to say the least. I, I thought that he... Really, I, you know, you talking about putting your foot in your mouth, man. Dude, <laughs> seriously? And then they found pictures of him kneeling. <laughs> I know. <laughs> they found... <laughs> and then they found pictures of him kneeling. Dude, yeah. like, what is wrong with you, man? Get off the, get off the, get off the dump, dude. <laughs> They did. There's pictures of him kneeling. 
thought of that until you said that i had not thought of that that he gives a comment and the pictures of him kneeling oh my god what a crazy world it is hey they're gonna kill him with that football field man oh god it has gotten to the place so well it's gotten to the point in america that you have some people really work for waking up and, and really being cognizant of what's going on. And I would hate for him to have some referees that claim to be woke. Yeah. That's a new term. Yeah. And, and, they, and they just kind of like miss that penalty <laughs> or, you know, or that, uh, that absurd hit. Yeah. You know, you, you know, he may just want to retire. It may just be over with, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about the knee, but that is hilarious. He's offended by people taking a knee, even though he took a knee. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> it's and, a crazy see, country. About, <laughs> well, that's the bad part about all of this. I can tell you what to do, but I can do whatever I want to do. There's yeah. no consistency there. Yeah. yeah. That, that's the bad part about it all. You can do it. But I can't. Yeah, rules for that, thee, not for me. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yep. But, uh, all right, uh, Henry Davis Jr., it's been a pleasure talking to you as always. <laughs> and maybe, <laughs> I know, that thing of Drew Brees cracked me up. He took the knee, the picture of him taking the knee. What were you thinking? Were you intentionally uh, disrespecting the flag? You anyway. football, brother. He probably has CTE or something going on, man. He, you know, I don't know what it is, man. That guy, man. <laughs> yeah, know. just stick the football. Matter of fact, retire. <laughs> just, 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 no, I think your it, advice man. about taking care of the offensive line is a good one. You buy them yeah, all. Yeah, man. You know, dinners at least, something. Uh, man, he's going to have to do a whole lot. All right, very good. Henry Davis Jr., Pride and Joy of South Bend, Indiana. Thanks so much for uh, stopping by with us, all right? Man, absolutely. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. Uh, it's a pleasure as always. Take care, everybody. And hey, downloaders, remember, you can listen to The Ben Jarofsky Show live Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. Go check it out, and we hope to hear from you tomorrow.
it's the butter cow, which has nine hearts to represent the nine essential nutrients in milk. That's right, it's made entirely out of butter, and it, you know, it's a state fair tradition since at least 1922. That's correct.